Well, welcome. We're glad that you're here with us tonight. We're going to talk about something that I've titled More Than Conquerors. Now, if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that's a phrase that comes out of the Bible, and we'll get to that passage here in a little bit. But I want to start by telling you a story out of Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6, Israel has fallen away from God, and because they've fallen away from God, they have ended up being brought under the power of another nation. Now that happened, if you read your Old Testament, you know that happens over and over and over. They'll follow God a little while, and He'll bless them, and they'll go, oh, we don't need God, we're good, and next thing you know, they are looking up going, oh, we do need God, and they turn back to Him, and back and forth. While this is going on, the the enemy that is suppressing them at the time, what they'll do is they wait every year until it's time for harvest, and they'll come in and destroy all their crops. That would be a problem, wouldn't it? Be a real problem. While this is going on, there's one guy, and this guy, he's a coward. I mean, he's not a great soldier or anything. He's a coward, and he's hiding taking care of some of their, their uh, produce that they've gotten. And an angel appears to him and greets him as a mighty warrior of God. And he goes, who are you talking to? Talking to you, Gideon. And Gideon goes, me? Who am I? He said, I'm, I'm, I'm the least important guy in my family. And my family is the least important family in our tribe. And our tribe is the least important family in Israel. I mean, I'm nobody. God says, I want you to lead my people against their enemies. It takes a little convincing with a fleece that gets wet and then doesn't get wet and all. We don't have time for all that story tonight. It's fascinating. They'll go read it. But he finally is convinced, so he calls for soldiers. Now, they had an all-volunteer army. They didn't draft people. People volunteered. All-volunteer army, and he got 32,000 soldiers. That's a pretty good army, isn't it? You're ready to go fight. Except for the fact that the people they're fighting against have more than 32,000. The Bible says when you looked at them, they and their camels looked just like the sand on the shore. You ever been down here to Galveston and seen the sand on the shore? How many grains of sand are there? (sighs) Who knows? They're just a bunch of them. And they were all down in this valley. So Gideon says to God, okay, let's go. What's our plan? And God says, well, you got too many soldiers. What? Too many? Can you have too many soldiers for a war? Yep, you do. Tell you what I want you to do. I want you to send everyone home who's afraid. You know how many soldiers went home? After everyone who was afraid went home, they only had 10,000 left. Now, Gideon's thinking, hey... Now we're down to our lean, mean fighting machine. Let's get this on. We're ready to fight. Right? What's the plan? God says, well, Gideon, you still got too many soldiers. Still too many soldiers? Yep. 
Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the creek, have everybody get a drink. And the ones that get down on their hands and knees and put their face in the water, send them home. But the ones that get down on one knee like this and scoop water and drink it out of their hand, you keep those guys. Now, I learned this story when I was a little fella, just like some of these little ones here. And I'll tell you what happened with me is every time I was out hunting or doing something with my friends out in the wild and we got something to drink, I always got on one knee because you never know if God's watching. (laughs) Because those are the ones He kept to go in battle. There were 300 of them. Okay, now He's ready to fight. He's got 300 soldiers against thousands But God is with them. They're ready to fight. What's the battle plan? Well, here's the other thing, Gideon. You're not going to take any weapons. What? No weapons? Nope. You're going to take a torch. You're going to take a pot that you can put over that torch to keep the light from shining far away. And you're going to take a trumpet. And I want you to divide into three teams, a hundred on each team. And the enemy was all down in this valley. They were camped down there, and it's the middle of the night. And so Gideon basically tells his guys, listen, you guys just watch me and do what I do. Okay? So they separate out in these teams, and they get one team over here, and one here, and one here, and all the enemy are down in this valley. And Gideon takes that torch, and he smashes that pot and holds up the torch. This is the middle of the night. These people down in camp are all asleep. And so all of his soldiers smash their pots and hold up their torches. And then he yells, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon! And they yell, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon! Gideon, Gideon! And then it echoes, like in here. Echoed down down in that valley. And they blow their trumpets, and they all blow the trumpets. Now, have you ever been awakened out of a dead sleep? I mean, you were sleeping so hard you didn't know who you were. And somebody wakes you up and you just don't know. That's exactly what happened to these people. And they woke up and all they know is they're in a war and they're soldiers and they're shouting and trumpets and fire all around. And what would you do? It's dark. What do you do? They just grabbed their swords and just started slinging them. And you know what? They totally destroyed themselves. They killed the whole army. All of them killed themselves. Wow. Now that's a pretty cool story, isn't it? And Gideon went back and he said, You know, guys, I think we had a a sound victory today. Right? Would you say that was a sound victory? We got some of this and some of this. I would say, in this case, Gideon and his soldiers were more than conquerors, weren't they? They were more than conquerors. I got ahead of myself in my slideshow there. Now, I tell you this story because of this. Why do you think God wanted them to take 300 soldiers and no weapons to fight a war? Why do you think? Any ideas? I can tell you why. Because if they go down there with 10,000 and they defeat that army, you know how they're going to walk back into camp? Yeah. 
Yeah, look at us. <laughs> we are bad mamma jammas. Now that's from my days as a kid, but uh, do you all know that phrase, bad mamma jammas? No, I didn't think so. We're tough. We whipped a whole army, just the 10,000 of us. But he says, you know, if you go and you win this battle with no weapons and 300 guys and you don't lift a finger, you will know that I gave you the victory. The victory came from God. These people were more than conquerors. Now, I tell you that because in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul tells us this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He says, I want you to be strong. And I want you to be able to stand. Are you strong? Are you able? Sometimes we talk about that. We need to be strong, right? We need to be able. We need to stand up. That's not what this verse says. He says, you be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. You put on the whole armor of God. You see, this battle that you and I fight, the truth is, we are soldiers in the armies of God. We are. We just sang a song about our God is mighty to save. Do you believe that? Amen. I believe that. And we are soldiers in the army of God. And we've got this great battle, this great war that we are a part of. When you become a Christian, you're enlisted into this army. And he says, when you go, you be strong in the Lord. You have the power of His might, and you wear the whole armor of God. And then he says this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. High places. (laughs) That was on cue. I want you to understand, your battle is not against the Democratic Party or against the Republican Party. Your battle is not against China or Russia or North Korea. Your battle is not against the hoodlums that are taking over your neighborhood. Your battle is against Satan. You and I are in a war against the devil. And we have a mighty leader a mighty commander, and we will be more than conquerors through Him who loved us. You know, when we go to fight, one thing you cannot have is a peace treaty with the devil. There's a lot of people who want a peace treaty with the devil. You know what? You leave me alone, and I'll leave you alone. And we'll all get along until the final day, and we'll let the Lord fight you. But you can't have a peace treaty with the devil. The Scriptures tell us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You cannot just let evil go and stay out of the way. Our marching orders are go win. Go fight this battle and win. That's what God calls you to do, and that's what God calls me to do. 
Now when we go fight and we go out into this war, there's one thing that's different about this war than all other wars. And that is, we know how it's going to end. We know what the end result of this war is going to be. There's a passage that I want to talk with you about a little bit in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. I know last night I said that might be the only sermon out of Revelation, but I made it 24 hours. (laughs) We got to another one. Revelation 20. Let's read this together. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. Now I'll tell you, if you go down to Mardell's or any other Christian bookstore and you get you a book or you go on Amazon, you get you a book about Revelation... 90% of them are going to tell you this is the key passage in the book of Revelation. This is what it's all about right here. And so I want to talk with you about this because this does have a very important message for you and I. But as we get into this, I want to tell you just a couple of things that will help you when you study the book of Revelation. To start with... This is the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants the things which must shortly come to pass. And He sent and signified it by His angel to His servant John. That's Revelation 1 and 1. And when you go to read the book of Revelation, it's important, it's critical that you understand some things in chapter 1 and verse 1 before you try to understand the rest of it. Okay? First of all, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the word revelation means? It means revealing, right? A revelation is something you've revealed. This book is not the concealing of Jesus Christ. It's the revealing. It's not something He's trying to hide from everyone. It's not something He's trying to keep secret from everyone. It's something that He wants Christians to know, to understand, and to be blessed by. Second thing, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, of Jesus Christ could mean two things. It could mean it's from Jesus Christ. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ from Him. Or it could mean it's about Jesus Christ, right? The revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, I believe this is both. This is from Jesus, and this is just like the entire rest of the Bible about Jesus. This is not the revealing of world history. It's not the revealing of the Catholic Church. It's not the revealing of the European Union. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ. And first and foremost, when you read the book of Revelation, look for Jesus. Because He's in there. So it's the revealing of Jesus Christ. It is apocalyptic literature. He sent and signified it. You know what signified means? It means He put it in signs. Now what that means to you and I is this. When you read, like we just did, about a bottomless pit, what is that bottomless pit? Have any idea? 
Maybe, maybe not. One thing you know it's not, it's not a bottomless pit. A pit's just a hole that has a bottom to it. There's no such thing as a bottomless pit. When you read about a chain that binds up the devil, the devil's a spiritual being, right? Have you ever seen a chain you could bind a spiritual being with? It's put in signs or symbols. It means other things, okay? Now, I know you'll read lots of books that'll say, we take Revelation literal. Nobody does. No one takes Revelation literal. When you read about a dragon that has ten horn, or seven heads and ten horns, and, and everyone says, well, what that means is the European Union or Rome or this. Or no one believes it's really a dragon running around. I mean, this stuff would be scarier than Harry Potter, wouldn't it? I mean, there's some crazy stuff in Revelation. No one believes it's literal. It's in signs and symbols. So let's be honest about that as we read it. Finally, the big message is this. There's a big battle, and the final score is God won, Satan zero. The devil will not win. No matter what it looks like between now and the end, you need to understand that if you're on God's side, you win, and if you're not, you lose, period. That's the way it's going to be. And for us in this battle who are fighting on God's side, you know what? Things are changing in America. Have you noticed that? I used to think maybe my grandkids would see persecution. I think now maybe I will in America. Things are going to be different. And things are not going to be so good and easy on us in the future. I don't know, maybe things will swing back and it'll get better. But I know this, if we do face real persecution, we're going to need this message. We're going to need to not forget that being on God's side, no matter how it looks right now, being on God's side, you will not lose. The battle's over. The battle's been won. So let's go back now and look at Revelation 20, knowing these things. He says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he lays hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him. So, isn't that a wild picture? I didn't draw that. I got that off the internet. But it's an ominous looking picture. So think about the the symbolism or the picture here. You've got this angel that comes down from heaven. Now, do you know what an angel is? An angel is a messenger. That's what the word angel means. It means messenger. So this is someone who comes from heaven with a message. He's a messenger from heaven. And he comes down and he's got keys in his hand to this bottomless pit and he grabs the devil, this serpent of old, the same one that was in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, And he binds him up with his chain and he throws him down into this pit, this bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now that's the symbol. That's the picture. What does that mean? How do we understand that? Well, the first question I would have is, who is this angel? I mean, he's a bad dude, right? He's going to come down here and grab the devil and bind him up. Who is the angel? Well, what do we know about this angel? We know that the angel has some keys, right? This is the only angel in the book of Revelation that has his own keys. 
You read Revelation 9. Under this angel was given the keys to this. They're always given keys. There's one angel that has keys. It's this guy. Who would that be? Well, if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, Jesus Christ says this, I am He who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I believe this angel is Jesus Christ, and I think I can show you that's true. Jesus Christ, this one who came from heaven with the message of salvation, who came from heaven for the purpose of destroying the devil, Jesus Christ is this angel. Now that's interesting if that's true. Let's look at a couple other things that I believe tell us this. This angel comes down from heaven and lays hold of the dragon and binds him. Okay. Now, I'm going to say something that none of the kids will understand, but all of you older people will. You remember Sanford and Son? Now, y'all have never seen Sanford and Son, have you? Any of you? No. It used to be a TV show when I was about your age. And there was this old guy, and he owned a junkyard, and his son worked with him and all, Sanford and his son. His son, a guy by the name of Lamont Sanford in that show, Lamont Sanford is a preacher now. And I saw him on TV a while back. And Lamont Sanford quoted a verse about binding Satan, and then he held up his Bible and he looked in the camera and he said, I bind you, Satan. I thought, oh, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) We'd have saved a lot of trouble for a long time, wouldn't we? Can Lamont Sanford bind Satan? You think Lamont Sanford is powerful enough to bind Satan? the most powerful, evil, spiritual force that exists? He's not. I can tell you who else isn't. The most powerful angel is not powerful enough to do it. Look at this. Michael, the archangel, contending with the devil, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. You've got the devil... And the top angel contending over the body of Moses in this case. And the top angel doesn't even dare to bring an accusation against the devil. He just says, the Lord rebuke you. I want you to know the devil is not God. He is not an evil God as opposed to a good God. He is not God. But short of God, he is the most powerful being in existence. The devil will get you if you mess with him. The devil is bad. And not just anyone can bind the devil. Not just anyone has that power to bind the devil. I tell you, only Jesus Christ can bind the devil. The Bible says, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Who is in you? Jesus Christ. God is in you through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And He is greater than he who's in the world. You see? Did you know there are people who really worship the devil? Did you know that? There are Satan worshipers in this world. Does that scare you a little bit? Would you be frightened to be around Satan worshipers? 
You know, when I was younger and I would watch TV, nothing really scared me much but that. And you know, if there was a scary movie or something and they had something about Satan worshipers, that that just kind of gave me the heebie-jeebies. I'll tell you what, the devil is bad, but he who's in me is badder than the devil in a good way. I hate to use the word badder about God, but you understand what I'm saying. He who is in me is greater than he who's in the world. Isaiah asked this question hundreds of years before Jesus was born. He said, Shall the prey be taken from the mighty or the captives of the righteous delivered? said, is anyone going to be able to deliver the captives? You know who he's talking about, those who are captive to sin. And Jesus answers that hundreds of years later in Matthew 12 when He said, how can a strong man's house, or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? You know, Jesus said that when He was casting demons out. What was He doing? He was binding the strong men when He did that. Jesus Christ came from heaven to bind the devil. Right before His crucifixion, He said this to His disciples. He said, the prince of this world is judged. Who's the prince of this world? It's the devil. And His judgment was final as Jesus was going to the cross. It's happened. It's done. He's cast out the demons and He is going to this battle. I believe the angel is Christ. John tells us, the same one who wrote the book of Revelation, he said, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. Why did Jesus come? To defeat Satan. That's why He came. He came to destroy the works of the devil. So this angel has been destroyed. You might say, well, destroyed is a pretty strong word. Isn't the devil still around? Well, he binds Satan, right? What power did Satan lose when he was bound? The angel laid hold of Satan and bound him for a thousand years. When did this happen? And what power did he lose? Satan was defeated at the death, the burial, and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. That's when Satan lost the war. That's when the battle was over. We sing about that, don't we? The battle is over, right? It was over when Jesus defeated Satan at the cross. Look at this. Through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus Christ destroyed the devil through death. And I say, but the devil's still around, right? This word destroy, if you look it up in the Greek, it's a word that means something is broken, not that it ceases to exist. All the parts are still there. It just doesn't work anymore. Satan still exists. He just can't do what he could do before. He cannot be the prince of this world anymore because he's been judged and defeated. Having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In what? In his cross. Do you remember the verse we read 
in Ephesians that said our battle is against principalities and powers? This says Jesus defeated principalities and powers, spiritual darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Jesus defeated that at the cross. That's when it happened. In fact, when He ascended on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. You see, at His death, His burial, and His resurrection, Satan was defeated and He ascended up on high and led that captivity to sin. He led it captive. So now, the world doesn't have to be captive to sin. Said he was bound for a thousand years and cast him into a bottomless pit and shut him up, set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more. You see, one of the reasons we have trouble understanding this is we forget that that's the power he lost. Satan didn't lose every power, but he lost this power. This power to deceive the nations. Now what was that? Do you remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil? The devil told him, turn the stones into bread. He didn't. He said, cast yourself off the temple. He didn't. Then he took him up into a high place and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. Right? And he said, all these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. So the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I'll give them to you. You just get on your knees right now and I'll give them to you. They'll all be yours. And Jesus' answer to him was he jumped up and he said, Now, devil, you can't do that. They're not yours. Is that what he said? No. He said, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. You know why? Because the kings of this world did belong to the devil. There's only one kingdom, one nation belonged to God at that time, and that was Israel. And most of the time, they were following the devil. The kingdoms of this world belong to Him. But you know what Jesus said after His resurrection? For the first time in history, Jesus said this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. You see, now He had all this authority, and He didn't get it from the devil. It had been taken from the devil. The devil had been bound. And Jesus now has this authority to go into all the world with the gospel and spread the gospel message to everyone in the world. That's why they were told over and over, go into every nation, teach the gospel to every creature. Why? Because now everyone can be free from sin. And the devil does not deceive the world wholesale anymore. Now, someone will say, now wait a minute, preacher. I get all of this stuff, but doesn't the Bible warn us about the devil? Yeah, here's a verse. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. See there? The devil is a roaring lion, and you better be careful, because he's going to get you. You know... I've been in Texas since 1980-something, early 80s. I have never seen a lion roaming around in the streets. Have you guys, any of y'all ever seen a lion? No. You have? 
Did you see him? On the news. Okay. One may escape from a zoo or something occasionally. We don't have lions in the wild around here. We're not familiar with lions. Only thing you know about them is watching the news or some other TV show about them, right? Where this was written, these people knew lions. They were lions that lived out in the wild around. These people were familiar with lions. One of the things that you'll learn about lions if you watch David Attenborough and some other things the Discovery Channel about lions, is the lion that roars is not the one that's going to kill you. In fact, a lion has never killed anyone by roaring. Ever. What a a lion roars, the lion who roars is the old lion with broken teeth and claws, and he roars to scare the, the people, the prey, to running over where the young lion is going to kill them. Now, Jesus tells us that He's greater than the lion in the streets. He's greater than what's in the world. In fact, this very passage, He says, resist Him. Have you ever, if you really encountered a wild lion and you thought He was going to eat you, would you go, no? (laughs) Would you resist Him? No. What you resist is a clown lion. You resist a fake lion. There's only one real lion, and that's the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. Now, I will tell you this, and I don't want to make light of the fact that the devil is dangerous, but I'm going to go back one slide. He's like a mean dog on a chain. You ever been around a mean dog? It doesn't matter how mean the dog is. If he's on a chain and you stay away from him, he can't hurt you. He can make all kinds of noise, but he can't hurt you. Now, if you go mess with him, he's going to tear your head off. But if you stay away from him, you're okay. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You stay away from the devil. He's dangerous but you are filled with the Spirit of God and the true lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed. He is the one and only true and living lion. So we go back to Ephesians 6 now. He says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore... This battle has been fought, and you and I are now soldiers in this battle. And I don't know, I'm, I'm not a big wrestling fan. When I was a kid sometimes, we watched, used to be WWF, I think it's WWE now or something, but the, the pretend wrestling on TV, that's not real wrestling. Real wrestling, like, I, I'm sorry if I ruined any of your parade, <laughs> but that's not real. The real wrestling is like collegiate wrestling or Olympic wrestling. And that's what you see these guys here doing. And one of the things you'll notice about wrestling, it's one of the few sports that's been around for centuries. Thousands of years they've wrestled. For thousands of years. Football is not that old. Basketball is not that old. But wrestling has been around since before Christ. The only time in a wrestling match that they stand is when? When the match is over. You stand when the match is over. 
when one is declared a victor. And he says, in wrestling, this wrestling against flesh, or not against flesh and blood, but of principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness, you and I are to stand. This message is taught all through Scripture. God's people have always been this way. Ty asked me if I was going to have a picture of David and Goliath. There's you a picture of David and Goliath. You know, David went to fight Goliath. Goliath was a huge monster of a man. I mean, he was gigantic. And he's standing there and he says, send someone to fight. And all the soldiers of Israel were afraid. Would you be willing to go fight somebody like that? All the soldiers were afraid. And David, this young boy who's not even in the army, says, hey guys, there's somebody and he wants to fight. And, and... he said, shut up, boy. Get in the tent. You're embarrassing us. The king, Saul, is there. He hears about it. And David is called before Saul. And Saul says, what's the problem, young man? He said, your soldiers are cowards. They won't go fight. He said, I'll go fight him. And Saul says, son, you don't understand. This guy is a champion. We don't have anyone who could fight against him. He said, I'm not afraid. He said, yeah, but this guy's a champion. You don't he said, no, you don't understand. He has defied the armies of the living God. I killed a bear and I killed a lion and I'll kill this guy because He defied the armies of the living God. And I won't fight against Him. God will. He convinced the king. The king said, okay, will you wear my armor? And he, tra- of course, Saul was a big, tall guy, and, and it was just too big, and the armor didn't work. And David says, I can't wear this. I've I got to use what I know. So he got a slingshot. Now, a slingshot for them wasn't a forked stick with a rubber band like we've had. It was a pouch of leather and two long strings. And you put a rock in that pouch of leather, and you swing that around. You can get the rock going really fast, and you let go of one of those strings. And if you're good... You can take someone's head off with it. I mean, it's a serious weapon. And he went down to the river and he got five smooth stones. Now, somebody asked me, why did he get five? I don't know. Someone told me that Goliath had four brothers and he was after all of them. I don't know. But he got five smooth stones and he goes out and Goliath sees him coming and he goes, are you kidding me? Y'all sending a child out to fight me? Well, you think this is a joke? Just like if you send a little two or three-year-old and he comes running up to me saying he was going to whip me, I wouldn't be concerned, right? I wouldn't be worried about that. And Goliath wasn't either. And he saw it was no joke, and he said, Come here, boy. I'm going to tear your head off, and I'm going to feed your body to the wild animals. And when he said that, David ran at him. Well, that kind of surprised Goliath. He drops his guard just a little bit. They went that rock, bang, right in the forehead, and down goes Goliath. And he ran, and he grabbed Goliath's sword, and he cut off Goliath's head with his own sword. Now, do you remember all the other soldiers who wouldn't go fight Goliath? They're all up on the hill watching. And they see all this happen, and they look down and they see Goliath fall, and they see David run to him, and then David grabs that guy's head and holds it up 
where they can all see that he's killed Goliath. And you know what they all do? Let's go get them, boys! And boy, there they ran. Because the battle was over. They'd won. And they had all kinds of courage. I want you to know that the battle is over. You don't need to be afraid. You need to stand strong in the Lord. I tell you, in my mind, the worst thing that's happened through this COVID deal is it's made us afraid. we got people in fear. You don't need to be afraid. You need to be willing to go fight and give your life for the King because the battle is over. The battle has been won. And no matter what happens to you on this earth, you cannot lose. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. I told you we'd get to it. We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. You know what they did to Christians in New Testament times? They slaughtered them like animals. They'd cut their heads off or feed them to wild animals. He said, that's happening? We are more than conquerors because death can't separate us from the love of God. You take everything I've got, including my life, you can't take me away from God, though. Can't get me away from God because the love of God will overcome and eternity in heaven is worth whatever we face here on this earth. Eternity in heaven. After you've been in heaven 50,000 years, it's really not going to matter whether or not you got the promotion or got kicked off of the, or out of the company because of your Christianity. You're not going to care about that. You're not going to care what it costs you to serve God after you've been there for 50,000 years. And that'll just be the beginning. Now I know I don't want to belittle the hardships that we face Sometimes we face things that are very difficult, things that are very challenging in our lives. Our family's been through one of those recently. You all know that. And when you face hardships in times like that, it's important to remember that He who's in you is greater than He who's in the world. It's important to remember whose side you're on and who's on your side. The story's told about a little boy who rode a train for the first time. And they were looking at a map, a paper map, which you pr children probably don't know what that is either. <laughs> a paper map. And they were f tracking how the train was going to go. And the little boy said, Daddy, Daddy, stop the train. Stop the train. He said, why? He said, he said stop it, stop it. There's a river. We're going to fall in the river. And he said, don't worry about it, son. He said, but Daddy, Daddy. And they could see the river coming and the boy was nervous and they got to the river and shh just went right across it because there was a bridge. And they looked and there was another river coming up and the boy says, Daddy, Daddy. And he said, just be patient, son. It's okay. And they came to that river, just went right across it. They put up the map for a while, ate their lunch, and then Dad 
knowing another river's coming up, gets out the map and goes, Hey, son, another river coming. And the little boy said, Daddy, it's okay. Somebody's already gone ahead and built bridges. Jesus has already gone ahead and He's built bridges for you. You can't fail if you'll walk with Him, if you'll follow His steps. He's already been through everything you will ever face. And He's defeated it. He's been victorious. If you'll follow His steps, you too can be victorious. And my message to you tonight is be brave and courageous and do not be afraid. We serve a mighty God who's won a powerful victory. And He's defeated our enemy and He's called you and I to stand up like men and to fight in His army and to follow His lead because He's won. Are you fighting? Are you following? I call you to do that tonight. And if you're not, we offer an invitation. If you'll come to the front tonight, we'll help you get back in that battle.